everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Hey, Power Athlete Radio. I'm John, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris McQuilkin, a.k.a. Tex. Howdy. And we are Power Athlete Radio, so... And now what are we going to do? The always hot hotline. Oh, we have this thing called the hotline, the Power Athlete Hotline, where people that follow our training programs, listen to this podcast, and are basically followers of Power Athlete on social media can call in and leave questions. And if you are interested in leaving us a question on the hotline, the number is 929-464-464-0. 929-ing-ing-0. All right. That's our hotline. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the hotline. Um, we love when people actually leave us messages, but a lot of times people text them in. So we got a couple text questions that we went through this morning that look like some fire breathers, some burners, some ones to throw some stakes in the ground. And you know, when it comes to controversy and throwing stakes in the ground, when it comes to strength conditioning, nobody better than us. Well, here's the deal with controversy. We're just stating what works. So I don't understand how that's controversy going against the norm when we're just giving people what years of application programming and coaching provides yeah um different than most people i mean uh, and i know there's a lot of people within this space that have worked with just huge amounts of people like we have but i think the numbers are few and far in between i mean the amount of people that we've worked with over the last you know launching cross the football in 2009 launching power athlete in 2012 you know, online programming shortly thereafter and what we've done with Train Heroic. I mean, we just have millions of workouts, tens of thousands of data points to keep proving this information. And a lot of things that even, uh, which is always nice. I mean, been talking about for 10 years, we don't necessarily have to go back and amend. I mean, there are a few little things, like I was reading some research the other day, um, directed me by Paul Carter, that, you know, looked at different types of muscle in terms of like sarcomplasic, you know, and, uh, you know, myofibular hypertrophy being dictated by rep ranges. And while, you know, that's within the Bible of uh, strength conditioning, which is in, you know, super training with Berkashansky and also um, Zadiskorsky's science and practice, science and uh-huh. practice uh, they're starting to believe that that might not be the case. That, um, you know, the observation that I made, you know, years ago in the NFL that I could tell the guys that trained over 80% and those that didn't because it looked like the muscle was different might have just been that the guys that train over 80% carry more muscle than the guys that don't. So there's been some really interesting stuff within the last six months that have, you know, forces us to go back. It doesn't mean that the information that we've been putting out of the workouts are any less true because we inherently found, and, you know, where I coined the inherent periodization, um, we found what worked based upon just a ton of data points. Um, but let's jump in and uh, figure out what the, our first question is and knock it out of the park. Uh-huh. And the key term you've already introduced is rep ranges. So that's where we're deep diving today. Ready? Yep, let's do it. <clears throat> hey, John and Tex. There seems to be a lot of flip-flopping in strength and fitness in regards to rep ranges for strength and getting jacked. Power Athlete has been consistent with John's explanation of reps since cross football days. <laughs> If you can shed some light on this, it would be great. Bye. All right. So we got two pieces out of that one. So let's look at rep ranges. Um, Years ago, I periodized rep ranges based upon user exposure to the barbell. So when I launched CrossFit Football, we had an amateur. And people took 
Huge offense. Like, I'm not a fucking amateur. I'm like, well, maybe when you drink, you're an amateur, because that was one of our favorite points. See somebody, like, have a drink, fall down, like, fucking amateur. Um, but the amateur was really the beginner and really had to do with your exposure to a barbell. So we had 30, 40-year-old people that had never really trained with barbells, or if they had lifted weights, had just gone to the Globo and fucked around on a bunch of machines. But when it came down to actually doing some form of strength program that involved squatting twice a week, pulling heavy once or twice or once or twice a week, pulling dynamically, uh, you know, hitting some overhead pressing, some bench press, you know, big compound uh, movements mixed with a smart accessory, you know, sprinting and running, there were a lot of people that had never done anything like that. Mm -hmm. So they just fell within our amateur. And once they went into that program, it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if they were an amateur, they would be able to keep driving adaptation right. by using a basic linear progression. What we found was there were a bunch of key factors for, for strength. You know, um, obviously coordination being a big one and a coordination requiring a very adept central nervous system. And the only way you're going to get that inter and intramuscular coordination and develop that level of coordination for strength was actually underneath a barbell. So well, let's take a moment. Two key phrases that do play into rep ranges. You introduced inter-muscular coordination, and I want people to think about bar path as a simple example. Or if they see a, a teenager bench pressing or squatting for the first time, we get the Bambi legs, the yep. shakes, and they have to find, and that's inter-muscular coordination where the quad and the hamstring are learning about each other exist and working together for hip extension. That's an example. And then intramuscular coordination be within the muscle. This is when the, the, the bar path, the moving pattern lines up, and now the muscle is allowed to express a, an amount of force or power to really hit that. Uh, I believe we were training at the 12 when we were doing the Jack Street stuff, and there was a, a coach in there training a young volleyball girl, who's probably 14 or 15, and she laid down to do the bench press. And as she's doing the bench press with the bar, like everything, it's looking like she's racing a motorcycle, you know, it's going up every which way. And uh, the guy stops her and goes, this looks dangerous, and goes over and puts her on like uh, just a Smith, yeah, Smith like machine. a Smith machine so that he could control it. And it was like seeing strength in the wild. I got to see this inter and intramuscular coordination while well, it would be inter, inter, uh -huh. inter would be the first one, intra happens later. I'm seeing this in the wild and I'm like, Look, strength training, strength happening, step one. And then watching uh, this, um, man, let me think, uh, good word, this plebeian. No, uh, he just he didn't know he, any better. He, yeah, he didn't know. Safety first. Just basically stomp on this flower of strength <laughs> and put her on a Smith machine. It was like, you know, like, a, a, like, like you're watching um, Nature is Metal and you see this like, you know, beautiful animal come running and all of a sudden just out of nowhere, well, a lion tackles it and bites I its head off. envision that music where it's like, do, 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 And then do, a car do, do. Hits, hits. Yeah. Him. yeah. And then like hard, hardcore metal comes in and a freaking wolf comes out of nowhere and dominates, but pretty much happened. So that guy yeah. fucked that whole thing up. Uh, but like that piece of happening and what was, and we, we talked about this um, on a podcast recently, we were answering questions. Uh, the idea of testing one RMs to have an efficient, really be able to coordinate for a 1RM, you have to give somebody the opportunity to perform 1RMs mm -hmm. and requires a very adept, very wired up central nervous system. And that beginner does not have that because they don't have time under the bar. They don't have a wired central nervous system. So they don't have any of these factors. 
So what we did is instead of picking one RMs, I just picked fives. Mm -hmm. um, that came at the recommendation of Mark Ripto, who told me that five is the most powerful number in the world. Uh, beginners should only lift fives. Now we tested the linear progression for cross of football with fours, fives, and sevens. Mm -hmm. uh, fours allowed us to get one more rep of volume by doing four sets of four. Three sets of five allowed us to push. We also did two sets of seven, which I didn't feel was enough opportunities. So we played and tested the rep ranges. I thought the four by four was better than the three by five, but when we were trying to combine two lifts, that extra set added time to it. So it was easier for us just to do three by five. Mm -hmm. And we saw people make some incredible gains. Um, this is the benefit of putting a program out for free like we did with CrossFit Football, and then traveling the world for the next decade, meeting thousands of people that had done this actual training program that came to the seminar to not only learn more, but to also give us reports on what they've been doing. And the stories we hear were anything short of fantastic. Yep. And to close the, the initial point where people, no matter who we ran into to begin with, we'd recommend that amateur progression. And if they were a true amateur, never experienced a linear progression, they're pushing 20 weeks. Yep. If they were not an amateur, then they'd fizzle out because it'd be too much volume. So we're looking at five, six weeks. They, they would implode or not be able to keep up with the two sets of three sets of five that, that we have each day. So then, okay, you're awesome. You're not an amateur. Let's get you going on a trained athlete program. So once we got into the trained athlete program, uh, we ended up playing with different rep ranges, but everything was based off of rep maxes. Mm -hmm. So I was more interested, if we were going to squat a 5RM, I was more interested in your 4.5 than your 6. So if you could get another rep, you needed one more. And this goes back to Arnold Schwarzenegger pumping iron when they asked, um, or I don't even know, it might have been an interview with Arnold, where they asked him, uh, you know, what rep range or, you know, like, you know, what do you train in and, you know, what's the best one to, to get strong and put on muscle? And he said, the next one. If you can get 6, then you got to get 7. If you can get 7, you got to get 8. You always have to be reaching and pushing to failure. And this really comes down to something called uh, mechanical tension. So what we're trying to get at, if you want to put on muscle, right? I'm gonna give you a little, little hint on this because I wrote it down because my notes, uh, you need to train to failure to create that mechanical tension. And whenever we say like failure, people think, oh, you know, you shouldn't train to failure. Bullshit. If you're trying to put on mu uh, muscle, you have to train to failure and you have to create a high degree of mechanical tension. So mechanical tension is the effort that you create within a set. So, uh, you know, and that re relates to a degree of, you know, force and, and all the other key factors. But recreating a high amount of mechanical tension is paramount to putting on muscle. So if you get underneath a weight, and maybe this was uh, part of that observation of like noticing that guys were more muscular over, that trained over 80, because I played with dudes that were 300 pounds and never put more than 315 on a back squat. Never put more than 315 on a bench. So maybe the fact is that they never pushed themselves to actual failure, that they always kept a few reps in the tank and then always wondered why they didn't put on muscle. Um, it's kind of also another observation um, why people seem to put on muscle, I think, a little bit easier with uh, the upper body than the lower because it's a lot easier to go to failure with your upper body with you know dumbbells and some other key factors than you know, anybody that's ever done a squat program where you're legitimately going to failure with the squat's going to require a lot of effort, a lot of spotters, and the ability to ditch the fucking bar when things get hairy. 
So, I mean, there are factors, but it really comes down to this idea of mechanical tension. And the only way you create a high degree of mechanical tension is going to failure. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that term. And I know I recognize that in coaching on the field strong, when we deep dove into French contrast and people were submitting their lifts to the feed, they were missing the, the targeted execution of isometric, eccentric, and concentric as we needed to truly drive the desired adaptation. So this is where even with we program rep schemes, execution is the utmost important so you do accomplish where Arnold says fail and you're introducing mechanical tension. Those are key terms of execution that we need to drive the specific adaptation. So this imposed demand, this coaching that we are are providing. I like the mechanical tension, especially when it comes to the uh, both the isometric and the concentric, how we would coach isometric in that we want to load fast into a position. For example, an RDL. Start at the hip and then almost like a free fall for a moment. That's where you create that mechanical tension. Until your body stops you and then we're holding that mechanical tension for a specific count and then it's not just going to the bottom of my RDL and holding. No, it's that catch. And then the quick note on the concentric, John, in that I want consecutive reps, one, two, three, versus rep one, and then two, and then three. So the tension builds up. By the time I get to set to rep 10 on my, my presses, my squat, whatever we're doing, shit, man. Well, that's going to be... I feel it. Well, I know, but that's um, your ability to be able to tie reps together is going to be directly related to your level of conditioning. So, I mean, well, that's, that's, where, the, that's where we push a ton of, uh, ton of work within creating a large aerobic base in all the programs. All the programs yeah. is key. So every program that we have, we put a high premium on building a large aerobic base. Now, this was a reversal for me because I always thought it was bullshit. And then when we did 22 Jack Street, uh, <laughs> I started incorporating a ton of uh, aerobic work because I was trying to basically lose, you know, 30 pounds. And I was hoping to be able to minimize muscle loss and make it just fat loss. And, you know, 20, 30 minutes of aerobic work five days a week. And all of a sudden I'm PRing every lift. I'm the leanest I ever was. And it was like, holy shit, man, maybe we made a mistake. Um, there's also another factor that when people think about mechanical tension that also plays into this that unfortunately um, doesn't get sold enough. I mean, I know we beat this war drum and have for a number of years. Um, you know, Josh Bryant beats the war drum on this is compensatory acceleration. So you want to talk about oh, the yeah. idea of as mechanical advantage increases, so does speed. So think about as I'm doing a bench press, I'm bringing the bar down and as mechanical advantage increases, so does speed. So as I'm bringing it up, the bar has to continue to, to, to speed up. Bar velocity has to increase. So you can create mechanical tension and activate you know, uh, what, what did Fred Hatfield call white muscle fibers, I mm -hmm. think is what he called it. But there was a high degree of strength was created by moving a bar with, you know, with violence. I mean, this goes back and you guys have heard me say this on the podcast as old man Zhang has told me, you know, I want you to try to break the fucking weights when you, when you lift weights, I want it to be so violent that people ask you being like, what are you doing? Don't lift weights. Like old people have sex slow and careful, all those analogies. And he talked about compensatory acceleration, you know, and I believe that training compensatory acceleration in the weight room had uh, a massive amount of carryover for me, you know, playing a decade in the NFL and being able to punch the shit out of dudes. 
You know, instead of being able to just put my hands on them, I was trying to shoot my hands three feet through their chest onto the other side. So I had visions of punching my hands through people. <laughs> and that came from basically violently trying to move the weights and using compensatory acceleration. So there's another key factor for mechanical tension. Yeah, and I want to stick with that. <clears throat> uh, in our power athlete methodology, the compensatory acceleration is one of our training principles. And under our umbrella of specificity, how we coach barbell movements is with that speed. Move the bar like it's 500 pounds, move 500 pounds like it is the bar. And one factor that we have in there within the principle of compensatory acceleration, so there's the application and how we coach it, but then the principle is that that speed kills, train fast, be fast. And the factor, and this plays back to coordination, that it's test totality. So that is you're moving so fast that you can't consciously control it. So it's at a rate, it's at a speed, it's at a, a, a rep max that our body is taken over and we're able to dig deeper into our coordination. And that's, that's one key principle that allows the transfer of compensatory acceleration squats to our jumps. So think of a reactive, I like the jump because it's happening and we can't load like we do a squat. We can't control the movement I'm stepping down off a block and then I have to have a reactive jump or I'm doing consecutive box jumps um, or hurdle jumps. That's happening so quick and in a moment, but it's proper setup, alignment, execution, all the good stuff that are, we can't overthink it. It's just our body reacting. And that's a true test in preparation for then stepping onto the field because we got to think about what the defense is doing, think about all our assignments. And we have to trust our body to move and execute these steps at full speed well. So there, um, man, there's kind of an interesting play um, because I've run into guys that carried a lot of muscle that weren't very strong. And I've played with guys that were, you know, not very muscular who were extremely strong. So I think the, the correlation between big muscle and big strength, I mean, um, you know, Verkashansky wrote about it that theoretically a larger cross-sectional size of a muscle should be able to support more weight. So when an athlete gets bigger and puts on muscle, they should be able to handle a heavier percentage or heavier poundage. Uh, but that's not always the case. So I think the reason goes back to um, people aren't, well, I mean, in the beginning, right, when they're, they're, they're hitting that five rep range, they're able to continue to drive. But once they get into the more advanced programs, uh, you know, something like we do within Power Athlete, and if you follow any Power Athlete program for any length of time, you'll notice that we use a, you know, a bunch of different templates. <clears throat> but really the standard tried and true Power Athlete template is rep max. So we'll do a rep max, and then I'll take a percentage of that rep max for compensatory acceleration for our cat work. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, or and that'll be day one, day two, obviously over the course of a week, the next week we'll come back and there'll be some form of higher volume so we'll find a way to accumulate volume and then the next day we'll come up and it'll be actually some form of primal movement. So at that point we've been doing three X's. We'll either get a Y or a Z and then that will repeat. And we'll get a back Y or Z are a lunge and, and a step. step up. Yeah. So we've talked about this at nauseum on this podcast, yeah. but the lower body can really only do three things. It can X axis, it can Y axis and it can Z axis. And what those comes down to is really this, the, uh, if you were to put the, the pelvis on that, uh, you know, on that. Where's my pelvis? Oh, I don't know where your pelvis it's is. It's in the office. Eh, okay. Yeah. But it turns out to squat. It turns out into stepping, lunging. 
and then stepping up. And what we'll do is we will load rep maxes. We'll come back and we'll do compensatory acceleration. Uh, and then the other key factor really goes into some volume and then we'll get into that. And we use a lot of post-activation potentiation work. Also, you know, French contrast and a bunch of different ways to kind of challenge stuff. So, but the biggest factor comes down to how you lift the weights. Uh, and that's where we use compensatory acceleration and all the rep maxes, all the, all the cat work, everything. We're trying to literally jump out of the box, jump out of the roof and do everything that we can to continue to drive, you know, speed as, mechan as uh, mechanical advantage increases, so to speed. So mm -hmm. um, when it comes down to rep ranges, whatever rep that you pick, if you want to do singles, doubles, triples, fours, fives, sevens, tens, whatever it is, and you're looking to build muscle, you have to create the highest amount of mechanical tension, what looks like going to failure. If you always stop with one or two reps in the tank and then wonder why you're not putting on muscle, that could be a reason. Um, now, a lot of times we'll have people, you know, leave a few reps in the tank for their compound movements and then figure like, oh, I'll just go to failure on all the accessories. I think you're, um, you know, while I think there's efficacy in that, I think you're leaving gains on the table. So the age old leave a rep or two in the tank if muscle is the gain or is the goal is to train to failure. Now, that caveat is for an intermediate to advanced athlete. When we start talking about a basic linear progression with a beginner, we just need them to add five pounds to the bar each time. Now, what's going to happen over the course of like 10 weeks, you know, when they start adding five pounds, it might not look heavy, but it's still driving adaptation. So I think that there's these different, almost like lanes, different timing, you know, like on, uh, you know, on the stop, like, you know, you get in the car and you start driving, you might not stop for three hours, but then after, you know, driving for 10 hours, you got to stop every hour to get out and walk and shake your legs. So it really comes down to the individual. Um, but biggest thing, avoid one RMs with beginners. And if you, if you want to put on muscle, we got to create mechanical tension. And if you're looking for strength and you're looking to really just increase your power output and really just look to be more dynamic, compensatory acceleration. Cool. Yeah. I mean, anything to add? The, the programs themselves are reverse engineered from training goals that we run into. If we look at field strong, bedrock, Jack street, grindstone especially they're reverse engineered from goals people are aiming to accomplish but then all programs have all different rep schemes in there it's just a few adjustments of intensity and volume yeah and uh what's what's cool is if you look behind the curtain and you saw the templates and the way it's all designed everything follows within the power athlete methodology mm -hmm. now how we get there and how we skin it and how we kind of add different pieces is uh, within that variation so uh one of my favorite terms, and this probably comes from the, you know, the 90s, was uh, body confusion. Remember muscle confusion? Muscle body confusion. Yeah, muscle confusion. Yeah. So uh, the last thing you want to do is confuse your muscles, right? You want your muscles to be very deliberate about what they're doing. Now, you don't want to overload and, like, you know, uh, keep doing the same thing over and over again because eventually it stops working. So you have to add variety in different ways. But we're never trying to confuse our muscles. We want our muscles to be very deliberate about what they're doing. And moving fast is ideal. Yeah. Whether that's squat, step, lunge, or through all planes of motion. Or sprint. Or, or I mean, especially that sprint. Yeah, you can't sprint slow. <laughs> so. <laughs> write right. that down. Yeah, write that down. All right. Thank you, Power Athlete Radio, for another episode of 
questions from the hotline. That's and right. Once again, that hotline number is 929-464-464. 929-ING-ING-0. So if you have a question, training, call the hotline. Nutrition. Trucks. Trucks. Had a guy book a consult the other day based on uh, <laughs> wanting some, some truck information and how to set up a four link with uh, a square body. So if you got some uh, truck I don't know questions. What you're saying, but yeah. Yeah, some fabrication, welding questions, whatever it is, strength, performance, life, food, whatever it looks like. Hit us up. Leave us something on the hotline. And if it's good, we will ask and answer. Boom. All right. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!